Good morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would back over in the Old Testament to a book that's called Ecclesiastes. Now, if, if you're new to church or you don't have your Bible and you're like, man, I have no idea who or where that is, we're going to show it up here on the screen in a minute. I will say this, we're going to work down through quite a bit of chapters 1 and 2, so uh, just keep your Bibles open to that. Um, on and off over the coming Sundays, we're going to be looking at this book. Um, Ecclesiastes, uh, we don't really spend a lot of time in it. Um, it can really come across as depressing and uninspirational, uh, but we're we need to look at it. We need to see the truth that's found in it. Um, it it's really a book about perspective. Uh, the, the narrative of the preacher or the teacher reveals the depression that inevitably results from seeking happiness in worldly things. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes uh, gives us a chance to see the world through the eyes of a person who, though very wise, um, you know, was trying to find meaning in temporary things and human things and, and finite things. Uh, most every worldly form of pleasure is explored by this teacher or this preacher and, and none of it gives him a sense of fulfillment and meaning and purpose. And he kind of shares all of this with us. So I want to start at the very beginning um, where he kind of identifies himself but not completely um, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 um, it says this and again keep your Bibles open to this we're going to work down through it these are the words of the teacher or the preacher uh, King David's son who ruled in Jerusalem now he's telling us who he is without specifically giving us his name now one of the reasons that it's important to understand who's writing this is because who writes it carries weight with it, okay? It's kind of like, have you ever gotten a text message from someone that's not in your contacts? And you're like, you know, what is the kind of awkward text you got to send back? Who is this, right? And then your mom replies, and is this me? Put my number in your contacts or whatever, right? Uh, it means something when you know who sent the text. It means something when you know who wrote this book. So Solomon, without telling us his name, he tells us who he is. He tells us that he's King David's son. King David had, had a few sons. Um, he narrows it down even more and says that he ruled in Jerusalem. And there, there weren't a lot of folks who ruled in Jerusalem. That, that narrowed it down quite a bit more. And there also are not very many of David's sons who had the platform or the resources or the experiences that Solomon had. Solomon was the third and, and final king of the unified nation of Israel. He was, succeeded King Saul and uh, King David. He, if you grew up in church, you might know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Where um, David, and we'll talk about this some, I think it's this fall, um, where David has an affair with his neighbor, and um, 
they end up, uh, she ends up being pregnant. David tries to cover his tracks by having her husband killed in battle, et cetera, et cetera. It's really just kind of a horrible story. Um, but this is who Solomon is, right? Um, next to Jesus, uh, Solomon is the wisest man to ever live. Uh, it doesn't mean he didn't do some crazy things, as we're going to see here in a few minutes. But if there was ever anyone set up to find meaning and fulfillment and, and purpose in life, it would be this guy. You know, this guy had acquired volumes of, of knowledge. He had vast amounts of wealth. Uh, he pursued all of these incredible experiences, and yet he still came up short. And so in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's kind of reviewing his life. It's almost like a journal. Um, and, and he's not telling us these stories or saying these things to condone all the things he had done. What he's saying is, I regret going these directions, and I, I hope you learn uh, from my experience. I, I pursued all of these things. I had all these opportunities uh, in front of me. I had all, everything anybody could ever want, and yet fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life just kept eluding me. I couldn't get my arms around it. And so Solomon is in the book of Ecclesiastes going, learn from my mistakes, right? Learn from my experiences. Now, if that's not depressing enough, look at verse 2. Everything is what? says the teacher or the preacher or Solomon. He doesn't just say meaningless. He says completely what? I mean, he's going to use this word about 38, 39 times throughout this book. And it's, in the original language, it's a difficult word to pin down because uh, we don't have an English word that really matches it perfectly. But the original meaning of the word that he used uh, when he's talking about everything is completely meaningless, is he, he's, he's, it would be like breath or a vapor or a puff of smoke. Everything is here and gone. You can't get your arms around it. The, the big idea that he's trying to express is that life is like a vapor. You know, it's there, it's gone. And the reason that he uses it, uh, this word over and over and over again, is because he's trying to communicate something to us. Now, here's what you've got to understand. When Solomon refers to life as meaningless, he's not saying, this is a double negative, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, he's not saying life has no purpose. That's not what he's saying. Um, because that would actually contradict the conclusions that Solomon comes to all throughout this book. He's not saying this to lead us into a state of depression or despair, he's saying this to give us some perspective, okay? Uh, perspective is huge. You know, it's, um, it's kind of like, you know, the whole glass half empty, half full thing. Man, if you see the glass half, glass half empty, that is going to impact everything about your life. If you see the glass half full, that is going to impact everything about your life, the way you see things. I mean, it's all about perspective, right? Uh, uh, perception is reality kind of a thing, right? It reminds me of the two guys 
uh, they were standing at a river, and one guy was standing on this side of the river, the other guy was standing on this side of the river, so this guy over here hollers out to this guy, and he says, how, hey, how do you get to the other side? To which this guy responds, you are on the other side. <laughs> Some of you will get that in about five minutes. Verse 3, what do people get for all of their hard work under the sun? Now, when he uses this phrase, under the sun, he's referring to your, basically your calendar, okay? Um, it, it's a phrase for your daily activities. It's a phrase for your routines. You know, we've all got one, right? You know, get up, take a shower, eat breakfast, brush your teeth. You know, go through our activities of the day, whatever that is, work, school, whatever. Uh, come home, have dinner, watch uh, one or two episodes of uh, uh, Annie Griffith, and then, then we go to bed, right? And, and the same thing happens over the next day. Um, some people love to have a solid daily routine, which that would be me. I am as predictable as you can possibly ever hope to get. Uh, some people shudder at the thought of having a predictable routine kind of schedule. But I will tell you this, for those who are routine folks, during times of great stress, uh, maintaining structure and routine does help you feel more organized, helps you feel in control a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. But um, let's move on. Then he says something that's very sobering, and it, it's meant to give us some perspective. Let's read on verse 4 through 11. Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Verse 7. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. You know, you know how depressing. Um, verse 8, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new. But actually, Solomon says, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now, stop there for a moment. Basically, he's saying that generations have come before us. We don't even know who they were or what they did. We remember very little, if anything, about the generations before us. He says there's going to be generations that's going to follow us. They're not going to remember who we are or what we did. Is that exciting? Um, Mark Twain would say it in a much more practical maybe more depressing way he said it this way the world will lament you for an hour and forget you forever welcome to new life church of the nazarene anyone inspired on this sunday morning but but solomon is taking us on this journey he he knows what he's doing he he's what he's doing is he's saying i'm trying to awaken your senses i'm trying to sober you up so that you can 
see what you can't readily see. Solomon's saying, I want you to see, even though it should be easy to see, it's right in front of you, but so often we miss it. And he's just saying, I want to help you see that. What he's going to do in a few minutes when we get to chapter 2 is largely he's going to take us on this journey. He's, he's going to say, hey, here's my life experiment. Right? I had all these resources. I had all these opportunities in front of me. Uh, so I started to pursue these things for the sake of finding fulfillment and meaning and purpose in life. And Solomon says, the first stop I made to try to find meaning and fulfillment and pur purpose was knowledge. It was intellect. I, I thought that could bring meaning and fulfillment and purpose into our lives. I thought if I learn as much as I could, that's the secret to life, Solomon says. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 13, the first part of it says this. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. By wisdom, okay? Now stop there. Back in 1 Kings, when Solomon had first become king, God gives him the opportunity to ask for anything he wants. It's a little bit like the genie in the bottle thing. You, okay, you get one wish, whatever you want. I, you know, And that's what God says to Solomon. And uh, Solomon, uh, he doesn't ask for a thing. You know, he doesn't ask for a lot of money or whatever. He asks for wisdom. And God is so pleased with his answer that uh, God gives Solomon all the wisdom of the world and then some on top of that. In fact, God even says to him in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 12, he says, I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. In other words, no one uh, can compete with the knowledge and the wisdom and the intellect that, that Solomon had. All right, but listen to where it leads him. Chapter 1, verses 16, 17, and 18. I said to myself, Look, I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. Verse 17. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly, but I learned firsthand that pursuing all this is like chasing the wind, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. So what Solomon is saying here is that, you know, I had all the wisdom that you could possibly want. I even studied on my own to add to it because he thinks that by learning as much as he possibly can, it will bring meaning and fulfillment and purpose to his life and his conclusion is that he was chasing something that he just simply couldn't grasp. It was like he was running after the wind and he couldn't quite catch it. He would get right up to it. He would try to wrap his arms around it. He would try to cling to it and it would slip between his fingers. It would, you know, his word meaningless. It would evaporate right in front of him as he's about, as he thinks, to get it. I, I think part of the reason of that is that Information never guarantees transformation. And that, that's just an, an important little side note. Information never guarantees transformation. So he basically said, 
knowledge didn't lead to what I thought it would lead to, right? Uh, it didn't lead to fulfillment and purpose and meaning in life. So let's try something else in my life experiment. What about if I just go out and have a great time? All right, so look at chapter 2, the first part of verse 1. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. In other words, let's have this incredible party. You know, maybe if I just have a good time in life, that's where I can find fulfillment and joy and peace and all of those kinds of things. So Solomon, in essence, gets on his private jet and flies to Vegas for the weekend, okay? He decides to saturate his life with as much uh, pleasure as he possibly can. Wine, women, song, dancing, food, all this stuff. And, and listen, when we talk about Solomon having a party, it was just not your typical party. Solomon partays. You've never been to a party like the one Solomon threw. You can read about it in 1 in Kings. It talks about all the food he had in his palace. Scholars believe that on a daily basis he had as much as, as many as fifteen to 20,000 people in his palace on a daily basis that were focused on nothing but partying, wine, women, song, food, just all the stuff, right? But Solomon comes to the conclusion, check out that verse in its entirety, chapter 2, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure, let's look for the good things in life, but check this out, but I found that this too was what? Meaningless, just a vapor, a, a a puff of smoke. In other words, the party ended. He woke up the next day. This isn't working for him. He realizes that this is not where he's going to find meaning and purpose, and it left him feeling empty. And so his life experiment that we're reading about leads him down another path. Uh, he says, okay, if, if intellect isn't going to bring meaning and purpose and fulfillment, if partying and having a good time isn't going to bring meaning and purpose and fulfillment in my life. Let's just try good old-fashioned hard work. And Solomon, in essence, becomes a workaholic. Begin with verse 4. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my uh, many flourishing groves and actually you can still see those the craters of those reservoirs even to this day uh, verses 8 9 and 10 I collected great sums of silver and gold the treasure of many kings and provinces I hired wonderful singers both men and women and had many beautiful concubines I had everything a man could desire verse 9 so I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me Verse 10, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. Now, can you imagine having this kind of power that, that Solomon had? Solomon threw himself into his work, which is what some of us sometimes tend to do, right? Um, and become workaholics. Some of us you know, we couldn't find not, uh, ple or our fulfillment in knowledge. We couldn't find fulfillment in partying and in relationships and having a good time or whatever. So we say, forget all about that. I I'm going to find a sense of meaning in life through my career, through my job. 
But then check out verse 11. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so what? Meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Um, and so this is his conclusion of the matter. It, it's a life experiment. It's taken him down these, these different pathways. You know, uh, you and I may not have the money and position and the platform and all that that, that Solomon had, but we do have within all of us the God-given desire to find meaning and fulfillment and purpose in life. It's just the same as Solomon had. So we're chasing after whatever it is that we think might bring fulfillment into our lives. And that's not a bad thing. God placed that desire within our hearts, right? To, my, to find meaning in life and fulfillment. The question is this. Where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find the meaning and the purpose and the fulfillment of life. Let me give you a, a sentence here, and you fill in the blank, just in your mind, in your own head. Don't be the weird guy and answer out loud. All right? If I could only get more of blank, then life would be better. If I could only get more of, and you fill in the blank, then life would be better. What is it that you would fill in that blank with? Uh, because when you fill in that blank, then you're starting to get to the point, to the thing that you're chasing after to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life. But here's the thing. If whatever you are filling that blank in with, if it's anything under the sun, the phrase Solomon used, if it's anything finite, then it's not going to fulfill you, period. Uh, and the reason it's not going to be fulfilling to you is because of two simple little words, which are these. What now? What now? You know, you get what you think will make your life better, and then when you achieve that, and then in that moment you're going, okay, what now? You know, I, <clears throat> it, what I thought was going to bring meaning to life didn't bring meaning what do I do what what now you know you finally get the girl or the guy of your dreams what now you, you finally get the job or the salary that you want what what now and the list goes on now Solomon isn't trying to depress us he's dry, trying to draw our eyes to something that's more fulfilling he's trying to draw our eyes to something that's more eternal than what's right in front of us and the answer is not that we would suppress our desires, okay? That's not the conclusion Solomon comes to. Some of us grew up in, in churches where if it was fun, you had better stop, right? I mean, that's just the reality that if it was fun, man, it's wrong, you know. And some of us grew up that way. But, but that's not what Solomon's saying. In fact, the conclusion Solomon comes to at the end of chapter 2 may surprise you in verses 24 and 25. So I decided there is nothing better, better than to enjoy, okay? Nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. 
and I realize that these pleasures, and here's the key, are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? And that is the key to Solomon's message. He's basically saying that knowledge, having a good time, finding satisfaction in your work, doing something worthwhile, enjoying life, those are not bad things in and of themselves. In fact, they're good things. They're gifts from God when we can enjoy life. But when we turn those things into the ultimate things, when we try to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in them alone, Solomon says they will dissipate in front of us like a vapor or a puff of smoke. Just You're never going to be able to grasp it. But he says that the key is to acknowledge the author of those things. Just don't chase after those things apart from God. What, what Solomon is saying is live a life with an eternal perspective. Recognize that there is a God beyond the sun who sent his son to give us meaning and purpose and to help us know that there's more to life than what we experience or what we learn or what we do. Pursue those things, yes, Solomon says, but acknowledge God and invite him into those things because he's what brings meaning to those things. You know, and this is, this is why Christians should be some of the most joyful, most authentic, most generous, most gracious people on the planet is because we are living a life with an eternal perspective. Is life still hard? Yep. For everybody. But it is a whole different story when we're living with an eternal perspective instead of just looking at what's right in front of us. So that's where Solomon starts off. And uh, I realize that this isn't like a high commitment time kind of a sermon or a big altar call dramatic thing it's more of a teaching but I, I want to pray with you because this speaks not only to those who are who are not Christians this speaks not only to those who haven't chosen to follow Christ in their life but this also speaks as a reminder to those of us who have I need this reminder all the time that these things jobs money possessions influence uh, career, any of that, none of those things are going to bring satisfaction or fulfillment in life in and of themselves. And I constantly need the reminder, this is a gift from God. I need to keep my eyes on Him. I need to keep my eyes on the one who is beyond the sun because He's the one that brings meaning and fulfillment and purpose to life. Can I pray with you? Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, what a great reminder. Lord, we all need this because it's our, it's our leaning as human beings. It's our tendency as human beings to, to pursue these things and to try to find happiness and fulfillment and purpose in these things. But Lord, you remind us this morning that, that, number one, these things are not bad in and of themselves, but Lord, we need to see beyond what's right in front of us. We need to see are beyond the sun. We need to see beyond the things that's on our calendar We need, as our source of joy and peace and fulfillment and purpose. 
that you are the giver of these gifts. And so, Lord, however we need to be reminded of that this morning, I just pray that you would remind us of that. And, and maybe there's someone here under the sound of my voice, whether watching online or, or live here in person, um, who needs to do some reprioritization in their life and be reminded of this. Would you help, would you help us to do that when necessary? Thank you, Father, for your good word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we're going to do something a little bit different that really has nothing to do with the sermon, but... You know, I just this past week I thought, man, we need to offer a time of uh, focused prayer and anointing for folks this morning in service. We had a great time of prayer around the altars in the, the first service. Um, and I have some, some clergy who are ready in just a minute. I'll have them come up front and just stand around the altars ready to receive you. And you can kneel or stand or whatever, and they'll anoint you with oil and pray for you. Um, if, if you're not sure what any of that is or what any of it means, let me just say this. There's nothing mystical or magical about the anointing oil, okay? There's nothing mystical or magical about a clergyman or a clergywoman up here praying for you, anointing you. It's all about the one to whom we're praying. And we serve a God that... We, we don't treat him like that genie in a bottle and demand that he fix this or do this or do that. I mean, um, we just can't do that. God has a plan for us. But his word does encourage us to come boldly and ask. You know, how can you even know prayer was answered? How can you even know a miracle even happened if you didn't even ask? And I believe we serve a God who brings restoration and healing physically spiritually relationally financially emotionally God can bring healing into your life and so there's nothing again if you didn't grow up in church there's nothing weird or mystical about this it's just us coming before the Lord and gathering before some of the leaders in the church and going I have this need would you anoint me would you pray for me and, and know we may have no one come this service we may have a bunch of people come if a bunch of people come just as our clergy in fact if our clergy some of you would come on up right now and maybe a couple over here one or two over here just be prepared um if if enough people come where you're just kind of waiting in line just wait a minute and and someone will get to you and they'll pray with you and they'll anoint you but we're going to sing this awesome song what a beautiful name it is um what a great song as we just continue in worship, as we continue in prayer, and as we continue in anointing. And uh, you can either come and kneel at these altars, or you could just make sure one of our folks see you. You can sit at a front seat if you can't kneel, and uh, one of us will be more than happy to pray for you, to pray with you. And so let's just worship him this morning as we sing this. Ryan, lead us if you would. i 
sing out our voices. Death could not. Death could not hold you. The veil, the veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to continue to worship him. We're just going to sing this out just with our voices. We're going to sing out, I speak Jesus. We believe that Jesus is here and that his word, that his name transforms our life. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul held captive by depression. I speak Jesus. We sing it together. Your name. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name. 
Just sing that song right from the beginning. I want to speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. To every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Break every stronghold, 
Who he is. We're going to sing out Waymaker. We sing it out. Waymaker, miracle worker. That is who you are. That is 
sing even when I don't. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop. Oh 
sing that again together. There's no shadow. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. No shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. Lift up hallelujah to him. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my name.
hands together, Christ alone. Time to get a Christ alone. that he is doing a work in our hearts and lives. So I just want to take a moment as we pray over everyone who's come before. All of us have come into here with something, something that we're struggling with and that we're dealing with. But the truth that we have is that there is nothing too big for Jesus. So Jesus, over all of these lives, we just want to pray that you come in, that you show up, that you bring healing, that you bring life, that you bring redemption. That it's impossible for us to look at our lives and believe that it was anything other than you working in us. And Jesus, right here in this moment, we just ask you do what only you can do in our hearts and lives. Love you and we praise you today. Amen. New Life, have a great week. As people are still responding, feel free to still respond. If Jesus wants to have a conversation with you, feel free to come up and have a conversation with him. But I ask that you guys leave. Have a great week. Leave respectfully. And we'll see you next week.